Amen. We are in a series through the Songs of Ascent, the Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134. And we're in the middle, we're up to Psalm 128. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, to, to open it there. Listen to the Word of God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Lord, this is your word that works in our hearts and lives. As, as I share thoughts and all of us consider your word, work in us. I pray now in Jesus' name. So we continue on this road of Jerusalem with these psalms. In these psalms of ascent, we are headed to the mountain city, up to Jerusalem for the festivals. For all Christians, the road of discipleship is toward the heavenly Jerusalem. And here's the secret of it all. It's a better life. It's a better life. G.K. Chesterton said, joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Eugene Peterson says it this way, it's the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian. What is hard is to be a sinner. We, we so easily get that backwards, don't we? We get that backwards in our world. Christianity sounds so hard, and, and we make it sound hard. But the truth is, it's so much easier than any other alternative. It's easier and better and, and more fulfilling than any other way because, because, very simply, it's the one we were created for. Christianity is, is fundamentally about being in right relationship. Right, first of right relationship first with the God who made us, then right relationship with ourselves, and then right relationship with each other and all of creation. And that's what we're made for. And it's a better way. It's a better way to live. It's a better life. Think of it this way. Isn't it so much easier to grow up in a healthy household than, than a dysfunctional one? 
there are two key words in this psalm that unlock it. And, and they're both in the first verse. And, and the, ver- the first word is about the state of the Christian. It's describing what's so great about the Christian life. And the second is about the condition of being a Christian, what it, what it is that makes us one. The first key word in this psalm is blessed. Blessed, blessed. It, it simply is the word that describes this, this state of affairs of all things being right in our world. The, the first half of the psalm provides promises of blessing. In, in the middle verse, you get an example of blessing, and then the last verses are pronouncements of the blessing to come. And, and like a bunch of these psalms of ascent, they, they mirror what the whole of Scripture is doing. Let's just go back. Start at the very beginning. The culmination of God's work in creation was when He made Adam and Eve, male and female, and He blessed them. He called, Jacob, he called Abraham and, and promised to bless him and to make him a blessing. Jacob has 12 sons, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of his life, he pronounces a unique blessing on each one of them. David, who lived everything hard, is said to have been richer in blessing than any other Israelite. And finally, Jesus begins his Beatitudes in Matthew 5 with this word, blessed, blessed. And these blessings aren't a picture of austerity and hardship. They are a picture of one whose life is just what you'd hope it to be. We are filled with blessing. And the book of Revelation ends with ends with what Eugene Peterson calls the seven salvos of joy, of blessing. But there's a a second key word in this psalm, a word that I've been honestly coming to terms with all my life, and it is the word fear. Fear God. And, And the ones who are blessed are those who fear God. Fear is is what connects us to God, and it describes the the heart of our relationship to Him. And I first encountered this word, this description of our relationship with God when I was a young Christian, a, a teenager, and I knew I didn't understand what it meant. But it sounded so important, it's used over and over again to describe our relationship with, with God. So I knew it was important. And when I became a Christian in the late 70s, everything I was taught about God was about how much He loved me, He he cared about me, and and everything He did in Jesus was to save me. It's all good stuff. And so when I read, read the description of a blessed person as one who fears the Lord, it didn't make any sense. All the songs and everything I heard about it made it sound like we should have a a close personal relationship with God. And it's fun and lovely. He's like a best buddy, and we talk to him like, like I talk to my school friends. And it seems like the opposite of fear to me. And I also saw that those who were really frightened of God, they so often seemed stuck 
in legalism and, and missing out on the, the freedom and the joy of the gospel. I would describe them as experiencing the blessing of God, of being happy. It seemed, it seemed like it's the wrong word. The first explanation that began to make some sense to me about how to understand this word was to very simply change out the word fear for respect. Of course, respect. It's not wrong. But I still wasn't beginning to understand what it means. I I respect many people. I respect police officers and presidents and all forms of people in authority. I I respect those who've earned my respect for their achievements, whether it's on the field or in in the classroom and laboratory or on the page or just good people and good friends. I respect them. There's lots of people I respect. And in many regards, I respect all people in God's creation. But it still didn't seem to capture the meaning of these passages about fearing God. There's something more to this word because it's describing what's at the heart of a relationship that's much, much bigger. And through the years, I've come to grow in my understanding of, and, the, and the sense of this word. I have fears in my life like anyone else. They've changed over the years what my fears are and some of the things that made me afraid. I've had to face some of them and actually experience some of them, and I found myself alive on the other side of them. And that, that depth of fear of some things has, has gone away as I've gotten older. Even death, I, I'm, I'm not as scared as it approaches and becomes a nearer part of my life. I can say that there are two people in my life that I've feared more than anyone or really anything else in this world by far. And they're not a Trump or a Biden or a Putin or anyone that I've never met. The first person I feared was my dad. And gratefully, I can say I did not fear him harming me. I know that's not everyone's experience with their father. I didn't fear him harming me. I knew my dad loved me as long as I've known anything. What I was always afraid of, a fear that was closer and more present, really, in any, everything I did, what I was afraid of, what I, was, what I was afraid for, was what he thought about me. Me and my sisters, we, we talk about how much we were afraid of disappointing him. And it was our greatest fear in our childhood and our youth, and, and it remained a great fear all the way to the end of his life. Not, not because we ever really could disappoint him. It was a fear because we loved him and we knew he loved us. The other person in my life I feared more than any other is my wife, Veronica. And it's not because she's mean or has been anything other but 
a supportive and wonderful wife, it, but more than anyone, I want to please her. I care what she thinks and how she feels about me. You see, fear and want and desire and love, they all come together. We fear God because He is our greatest love. And more than anything else, we care about what He thinks of us, how He feels about us. That's why the good news is so good. We are created to care about what our Creator thinks, how He feels, and, and we, we have reason to be concerned, every one of us. But here's the good news. This is how He feels about us. He loves us. And here's how we see it. In everything. In every good thing, and, and especially what is at, at one time both the, wor- both the worst thing that ever happened and the source of our salvation. Here's how we see his love for us on the cross. On the cross, the cross where he paid the cost for our every disappointment for our every debt, our every failure. He paid the cost so that we no longer need need to describe our connection to God first with the word fear. But but knowing all this, it's still a good word to describe the depth of our connection to Him. This fear, this this love is the deepest form of connection of a son to a father, of, of a husband and wife, of a child of God to our Lord. Another term for it we often use in that last relationship is worship. We worship Him. There's no one else we worship. So, With that describing the depth of the form of our connection to God, let's go back to the blessing. And and as we look on all this blessing of of the people of God, and, and we think about where it comes from, and think about those people singing this psalm on the way to Jerusalem, and and what these words mean to them, we see that this blessing that they're singing about is is not something that they grasp grasped at. Or, or achieved for themselves. It's not something external or circumstances that was given to them. Most of them had a hard time of it in the world. Can you imagine living in the ancient world? It, it, none of it could be easy. They had hard times in the world, but what they had, what blessing that was given them, it's, it's fundamentally the same blessing that Adam and Eve got at creation, something that exists on the inside, not from them or their efforts. It was the life that was given them that led to their efforts. A different Peterson, Johannes Peterson, describes it as the power to live in its deepest and most comprehensive sense. That's what's given them. 
Think of what God gave us at its core. It's not stuff. It's not stuff, but he breathed life into us. Do you ever just stop and wonder at being alive? Just stop. Take your eyes off all your hurts and disappointments for the moment. Take a deep breath and wonder at being alive. And the redemption we have in Jesus, it, it's a whole new breath, a new life. The Spirit of God with us, in us. Fearing God, which all who saw and experienced this blessing is a recognition of and a submission to the one who gives us our life and our new life and everything in it. It all comes from God, from God, and we are blessed. And we get an example of this sort of life, this blessing right in the middle of the psalm. And like last week, it's a picture of a family, not just children like last week, but children and spouse. And this, once again, it's not a prescription of a happy life, of what we need to be happy. Wife and children are not the means of blessing us. It's a snapshot of one of the ways of seeing God provide life in and through and around you. And while it's a, a particularly meaningful snapshot in the ancient world, it still works, and it's still meaningful and powerful for those who are surrounded by family, honestly, family of any kind, of any kind, including those in the pew next to you the family of God. And we see in this blessing and the inherent power of life to increase. Blessing always gives blessing. That same other Peterson says, life consists in the constant meeting of souls which must share their contents with each other. The blessed gives to the others because the, the strength instinctively pours from him and up around him. The characteristic of blessing is to multiply. We don't just hold on to our blessing. It, it, it expands. It pours out. John Calvin, the, the Genevan theologian of the Reformation who laid the groundwork for our theological tradition in Presbyterianism, he pointed out that we need, as Christians, we need a better concept of happiness than what the world has, a better concept of, of blessing. More than the world's conception of a happy life, which, dis, which he describes as consisting of ease, honors, and great wealth. That's what the world thinks of as blessing. Ease, honors, and great wealth. That, that conception of the good life hasn't really changed since, much since the 16th century. Ease, honors, and great wealth. 
I think it's easy to see that the world is pursuing these things as, as that source of happiness. We can also see that many who have achieved those things, that ease, honor, and great wealth, could in oftentimes no way be called happy. Rather, happiness is something found deep inside people who have life in them, a life in them that then overflows to others. So, if we get this blessing by a relationship described as fearing God, what do we do to live this life inside of us, this blessing? There's no tricks to it. Just become a Christian and walk the road. Walk the road of discipleship, the life of faith. We begin the journey on the road to the heavenly Jerusalem, and we put one foot in front of the other, and we stumble and fall, and we get distracted and off the road sometimes. But we get back on the road and we keep going. We acknowledge God as God, as, as Lord, and not us. And Jesus as the means by which we get back up on the road and, and back into our relationship with God. As the psalm says, we fear the Lord and walk in his way. Before my freshman year of high school, during the summer, my family moved to Aspen, Colorado, and I went to a six-week summer camp outside of Telluride, Colorado, where we spent most of our times on the trails. And it was called Telluride Guide School, and it was run by the Farney family. And I, I remember the first day and the first lesson on the trail. The very first lesson was, when there are trails, stay on them. It was like saying, keep your cars on the road. I, I taught that in the very first lesson with the kids when I was teaching them to drive. Stay on the road. And I remember the elaboration. When there are turns, don't, don't cut them off. Don't try to make your way shorter or easier for yourself. It's not going to turn out that way. It's, it's bad, first of all, for the trails themselves. You're also more likely to get hurt or somebody else hurt. Ultimately, you could even lose the trail altogether. And for all these reasons, it becomes, more than anything else, about character, about character. And so it's not what we do. Stay on the trail. Here's the picture I have of our world. We're all trying to make our own trail to get where we want to go. In the, in the guide school, we did spend time off the trails. Sometimes there are none, and, and, and we just figured out our way with the topographical maps and, and other means, but it's so much harder. If there's a lot of vegetation, we'd have to bushwhack through it. That's not much fun. Or scree fields, and it's, it's so easy for rocks to slip under our feet and we'd fall and hurt ourselves, especially with all that weight on our back that we're carrying. 
and we get lost and confused and disoriented off the trails. And we came so much to appreciate when there were trails for us to stay on and to follow. To be off the trails and and try to find our own way is just so much harder than if we simply stayed on the trail, stayed on the road. And the road is so simple and easy and clear to see in this passage. Fear God and walk in His ways. Eugene Peterson finishes his chapter on this psalm saying, Everyone wants to be happy, to be blessed. Too many people are willingly, are willfully refusing to pay attention to the one who wills our happiness and, and ignorantly supposing that the Christian way is the harder way to get what they want than doing it on their own. But they are wrong. God's ways And God's presence are where we experience the happiness that lasts. Do it the easy way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Let's pray. Lord, we almost always feel like we're smarter and got it more figured out than you do. But Lord, your trails, your ways, your path, Lord, that is the right way, the easy way, the way of health and peace, the way of fruit, the fruit of your kingdom. Even in this hard world, Lord, help us to keep on the path that is yours, that you have set before us of obedience, of looking to you every day and every step, of seeking your will and your ways and trusting there is happiness there. There is blessing right there. For you, you are with us there. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your call to a life that's better. And Lord, guide us in that life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.